This is Joseph Gervaisi. I'm here with Greg and Matt Mungin of Scram. Uh, today is the Ides of March, March 15th, 2013. We are recording this interview in a very warm room at the International House, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, and this is part of the Loud Fast Philly series. Hi, fellows. Okay. Hello. Uh, um, I guess if you could just actually introduce yourself so that people can maybe tell the difference between your two voices. Okay. Uh, I'm Greg Mungin. I was the bass player in Scram, backing vocalist. I'm Matt Mungin. I was uh, guitar, vocals. You okay. Wrote a lot of the songs. Excellent. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll begin at the beginning of, of each of your respective births. Uh, what year were you born in? I was born in 1962, <clears throat> so I just turned 50. Okay. I was born in 67, so... <laughs> it's okay. We're all, we're all friends here. <laughs> uh, were you born in Philadelphia? We were born in the suburban Philly. Okay. Um, both uh, born in Delaware County. Okay. And we lived in various places throughout Delaware County mm -hmm. before we moved to Philly. And so, as, I'm sorry. Uh, so, as brothers, were you always close? Yeah. We were. But we had a five-year age gap, so that when you're a kid, that's... Uh, yeah, it's pretty significant. Yeah, it's a pretty big gap. But as we got, probably, as I got into my late teens, I guess that's when we started getting really close and playing, playing music. Mid-teens, mid actually. Mid-teens, yeah. yeah. Um, and started playing music. Yeah. So prior to your discovery of or interest in punk, what were the two of you listening to in, in terms of music? It's funny, I, I've... My my uh, recollection was that pop music was always a big deal. Like our our parents weren't musicians, but they definitely loved music, and they they definitely um, always had the you know music on car radio and at, at home and stuff. But I don't know if this is part of you know a, a distinctly Philly experience, but. I would say that R&B and soul music was, was always like a, kind of a big deal. Was there the a house. station that was the, the station for that in Philly? Well, I guess the, you know, WDAS and, mm -hmm. and um, I guess later Power 99 um, came along. Um, but the pop stations, though, there were the AM dial pop stations that, that we listened to. And... Um, WIBG. WIBG. They were like, yeah, it was like a top 40 station. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then classic rock definitely took over at a certain point, you know, just mm -hmm. WMR and WYSP. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like that, yeah, pop and R&B and rock and roll obviously were like, not obviously, but they were kind of fixtures in our listening experience growing up. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, my experience when I got into high school was that there were so many kids into classic rock and the dead, you know. And um, when punk came along, was the, I was in high school in the late 70s, and mm -hmm. punk rock came along, and that sort of changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. it sort of, it really resonated, and um, I, I'm not sure, you know, it was the chicken or the egg, but 
I felt like it was something that I gravitated towards, and, and Matt certainly did, and Craig, who was the drummer uh, in Scram, mm -hmm. Craig Heim. Uh, we we've kind of found solace in that, um, and we definitely uh, I I felt like it it sort of corroborated this distinction that I felt with those kids that were listening to the Doors and Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix because I I always had this feeling like they wouldn't have been listening to it like when it came out you yeah. know mm -hmm. like. You know, because when it came out, I suppose it would have been on the cutting edge, but at this point, I mean, this is, I guess, you know, maybe 10 or even 8. Yeah, it seems like a very short period of time on, but right. the generation felt really long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. looking back, it's amazing. Like, yeah. It just felt like forever ago at that point, yeah. Yeah, when I talk to people... It still um, feels that way to me. It still feels like the early 80s scene, you know, from now back to then seems closer than from then to the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah, I think more things happened in pop music, or, you know, pop the culture in general. In general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I guess this is cataclysmic movements. Because when I talk to people, uh, you know, so far with doing the interviews who were there for sort of the birth of punk 76, 77, it, it always seems peculiar that Summer of Love is 67. So you're, you're talking, you know, a 10-year oh, yeah. span, and yet it's, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of incredible. It's fascinating. You know, <laughs> see, so when you, I guess, then did you come into punk first, Greg, and then, you know, like younger brother, Matt, gets it from you? Or, I mean, how did that work? I, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, Matt was pretty precocious. <laughs> Do you remember so, how initially this, this sort of germ was planted, like how you discovered this thing or how it came into your consciousness? Well, I remember, for me, the, the gateway was... Um, was uh, I, don't know how, I don't know what grade. I think it must have been like sixth grade or something like that. Um, and Train in Vain was a hit mm -hmm. and like I just I always loved and I still love you know a good pop song you know and that was a great pop song and that and I got you know I got London Calling off of that you know that tune and then just listening to it and I was like wow this is it. and I liked it I remember at the time because it reminded me um, I was a big Who fan and they reminded me of the Who with like you know some of the chord progressions and then the you know this the sort of um, you know the difference between their two voices of the one guy that had masculine and like gruff voice and the other guy had a softer voice and mm -hmm. um, so those were the those were the things that I noticed and it just it was sort of gradual and I remember I put it away for a little bit <clears throat> and then came back in a year and that was sort of when it was over for me you know. Mm -hmm. Um, just when I rediscovered that record after hearing some other things, you know. Um, but yeah, so I was, what are you in sixth grade, like tw uh, 12 or something like that, 11 or 12? Yeah, so you're rather young. Yeah. Um, so, so what is the point where you start to, to see that there is a scene, that there is, you know, there, there are these bands are playing locally, um, I started going to shows in very early college. That's when I first started. Was that here or somewhere in else? In Philly, yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, oh God, what's the, what was the, the first show? First show that I. I remember my first show we went to together was um, it was called the BYO Hall, <laughs> and it was on Third yeah. Street, a little north of Market. I, I still don't. I'm down there. Yeah, I work down there now. I, 
can't figure out which building it was, but it was on the second floor, and it was um, it was the stick men, right? And was uh, wide eye on that? Oh, no, we saw wide eye on the quad at, at sources, Drexel. Maybe That's I don't know. <laughs> so, what, what, do you remember about what year this was? This is like it must have been eighty one. Yeah, eighty or eighty one. Yeah. So both of you went to the show together. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and this is at the BYO space. I think I've been to shows, bef- several shows before, maybe even the mm-hmm. year before. Um, but that, I remember that was. Um, yeah, I remember that really well too, going to that show. And I also remember seeing Wide Eye. I don't remember which one was first. I thought I was thinking that BYO hall was first, but now I'm thinking maybe this. Um, Oh no! Yeah, that was first because then we saw um, Wide Eye was in the quad, um, Drexel. They're just playing outside. Yeah, they're playing and outside, so and I remember I was uh, really afraid of them. You know, like of the I, band. Yeah, like I was like, fuck. Like, <laughs> you know, I'd never heard music that furious in person before. You know, like that was the first real like uh, you know hardcore that I heard, and like I don't know if you saw them back then, but they were. They were pretty scary, man. He's a big dude, and he's like, you know, <laughs> thrashing his arms. And, then, like, and how are the the, scary. The, the the normal? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And how how's everybody else reacting to this? Because I mean, if it's on a quad, then presumably like people are just walking by seeing this. Yeah, well, it's on, I think it was on a Sunday or something. It was on a weekend day. I remember. So, so most people were at church. Weren't allowed to stay. <laughs> weren't a lot of students around it was people definitely seemed like mostly people that were there to you know because they knew about it um but yeah there wasn't like a big crowd but i imagine any i mean i was scared and i went i went there to see it and I was scared, <laughs> yeah so. i can't imagine what someone who didn't expect that would have. uh do you have any impressions of the byo show uh i remember feeling like oh man I think this is where I belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, <clears throat> I remember thinking that because um, I, I was saying earlier, like I in the late seventies, I started listening to like the Clash, and the Police, and um, and but I was also, you know, I remember getting off the wall. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson's off the right, wall, yeah. and it was like just just as big an influence and I had a, a friend who was uh, listening to Bob Marley and uh, Funkadelic mm-hmm. so there was always this sort of almost like dual consciousness <laughs> right. you know as you're, you're it's I don't I, I hope that I've sort of brought these these musical ideas together in my own mind and my own experience but certainly when you're first learning about music it's just like different worlds you know Mm -hmm. and um and i guess you know depending on your perspective they can be different worlds now um but uh that was definitely uh and and the r&b was has has always been a, a a big influence and um you know at just like black music african american music but um i remember feeling like uh, I didn't really sort of, I might not have stood out visually as mm-hmm. much, but I just felt like this was almost like the, the, the folks that couldn't fit in or didn't want to fit in with 
with where they grew up. Where Part of it, too, I think, was that we, um, where we first lived was kind of a more of a working class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, our dad started making some money. <laughs> and uh, What was he doing? I mean, what was his, his line of work? Uh, he was in sales, sold uh, petrochemicals. And, um, and uh, yeah, he started making more money, and we moved out further. We lived in Villanova, and I think that's, that was a big part of it for us because we felt, we, you know, we felt alienated out out there you know it was a much more wealthy area and mm. you know we lived in a like I said more of a um, you know it definitely wasn't a poor neighborhood but it was definitely you know maybe lower middle to middle class more of a, but more of a working class mentality and mm-hmm. it's more of a neighborhood and yeah you know well, it's funny everywhere. because I think even well, we, we grew up in Drexel Hill Pennsylvania mm-hmm. which is you know definitely has like uh, sort of a poor to working class neighborhoods and then it has like pretty solid up to a solid middle class neighborhoods and we actually um, lived in both areas so they it so we we definitely experienced these these class leaps mm-hmm. certainly through 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 my life uh, my growing up because um, I guess when you were born we had already sort of moved to yeah. The uh, the nicer you know the <laughs> right, right. area of Drexel Hill, but um, uh, but that that definitely influenced us for sure. Do you think that you retained a sort of a working class perspective on things, or a, you know a, a yeah. core of that the working class upbringing? I would say so. Yeah, yeah I, I mean so. it. It certainly was. It certainly was a. It influenced our politics, for sure. Um, were there politics in the home? No, no, I think... They I, were discussed, but there was no... There was, uh, I guess there were politics discussed, but there was no uh, ideology. <laughs> you know, they, they were... They would sort of go with the, with the winds, I guess. You know, whatever the... Um, yeah, they could take really different positions on, on issues. It wasn't a sort of consistent... Yeah. yeah. So but we're Irish. It was an Irish Catholic right. family, so it was. Uh, yeah, there were definitely conservative tendencies, but there was definitely. Um, uh, and we we grew up, you know, going to Catholic schools too. So. Um, you know, Did you go the whole way through in the Catholic schools? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was trouble. In high school. I'll, I'll leave myself out of this. <laughs> no. But I was raised Catholic as well. Oh, so yeah. I, I understand now. Yeah. The last name is Drew Basie, so... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so... There's so a few it, Catholic Italians. It definitely... Um, a few. But I guess circling back or bringing us back to my point about at the show, you know, this, whatever we're talking about, this BYO show that happened mm-hmm. in 80 or 81, I guess. Um, it, it, felt, it felt like we... I just felt like we belonged almost immediately. Did it feel welcoming it, to you coming, coming yeah, into the environment and, like and that? And the thing yeah. that I've always been impressed by the DIY thing is we're talking about class here, but there was a lot of working class kids that I, I feel like what brought everyone together was this sort of land of misfit toys kind mm-hmm, of right. experience. That everyone really didn't fit in or, you know, 
sort of consciously sought out, you know, something different than the way they were raised. Or, but I always, I always felt like it, the DIY, DIY scene was a sort of default for these folks. And it, so that means that all kinds of people were hanging out there that looked very different from one another um, and had very different interests in music. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely feel like that is one thing about the DIY scene, the all-age scene, whatever you want to call it, that we benefited from, we Scram benefited from a great deal. Because we weren't just playing punk, we were, we were always influenced by R&B and reggae and African music. And Do you have a very small yeah, C Catholic we really taste in, in music? It's, you know, Oh, yeah. 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 I always have, you know. Like when you were saying, asking about what we listened to when we were kids, like we always were just in the good music, you know, whether no matter what it what it was. I guess if you say there's two kinds of music, good music and bad yeah, music, that's the right answer. Yeah. 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 So um, maybe we're getting a little ahead, but that that's what part of my experience was that it felt felt like a place where I could just be myself because I <clears throat> like I said I, I never had a mohawk and, and that kind of yeah. stuff you know um, but it felt like there was a tribe there that I could plug into mm-hmm. yeah. you know mm-hmm. were you both of you or either of you playing music prior to the formation of the band or even prior to your interest in punk you, uh, yeah, it was a little bit. Yeah, just started playing guitar and like I don't know. It is close to around the same time though, but yeah, it's it's like a again, it's one of those things. It was a short time, but it seems you know seems big. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a year or two before. <laughs> right, right. But but you weren't. Right. I wasn't. I learned to play in scram. Okay. Yeah. If I feel like there was a fair number of discussions before it even happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. So how how long is it that you're you're going to shows when you come up with the idea that you want to be you know sort of an active participant in the scene you know that is forming a band? It's almost immediate. Yeah. So at that point, uh, yeah, it was almost immediate. Um, but it took a while. Yeah. Well, again, it was like two yeah. years probably. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what, uh, like eighty three ish or so that. I think it was, yeah, it was the end of 83, I think. Well, we were just saying, like, there was a... Oh, well, the, I'm just counting the, uh, like, uh, you know, we were learning how to play, like, we did, um, before Greg was in it, uh, Craig, the drummer, we were playing with another guy, and we were, like, doing, you know, doing cover versions of things, and had, a, you know, a couple songs, and then we just gradually added added some more but I always think of the show CEC as like the first uh, the first real show with um, uh, McGrad and Five Story Fall so what was the venue? Uh, CEC the Community Education in Lancaster but there was there was uh, <coughs> in we played two shows at the Wayne Teen Center and is, that, I, is that in Wayne, Pennsylvania? Wayne, yeah. Pennsylvania. I've heard of that place. I don't know if I've ever been there before, yeah. but I know that it exists. Just essentially where we 
not well grew up, you know, um, and formed the band, and so we were, you know, typical suburban punk kids. Right, right. Um, so it wasn't always a given. It was not always a given that you were going to be in the band, Greg. I mean, did you come along later? Or? Yeah, I guess I was in. I mean, at that point, I was in. <clears throat> I was in college, and these these guys were in high school. So there was there was. I guess there was that was going on. But it, for some reason in my mind, it didn't, it didn't seem like it took that long. Yeah. You know? Because um, I guess Matt and I were always in touch. And um, so I, I, even though there may have been a moment where we weren't sure, but it, my, my recollection or my experience is that it was almost kind of seamless in that respect. But, um, but when we finally got... When, when we were finally the three-piece, Craig and Matt and myself, um, the first show that we played as the three as Scram three-piece was at Wayne Teen Center, mm-hmm. and we and and it, I think we played in in um, you know like June, like early summer, yeah. something like that. And um, so I remember, was it '83? You think it was '83? No, that was '84. It was '84. That was '84. Okay. Yeah. Because we then played again in the fall at the Wayne Teen Center, and Chuck Meehan, we put up flyers. Saw that you interviewed him. Yeah. 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 And we saw, or he saw a flyer, of one of, of one of our shows. I guess right, he's from was, out there as well. Okay. And he saw it at the, and the Teen Center is right at the train stations, like right next to the train station. So he had flyers up, like on you know the little tunnel under the under the tracks, mm-hmm. and he saw that. And he actually, he knew, he knew who I was from seeing me at shows. And we were like planning to start playing out, but we were thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, not ready. six months, like we were like, <laughs> we're not ready yet. And, uh, and he saw it and they, at this point, uh, it was so great, man. They had shows like every Friday and Saturday night. At, Either uh, at the CEC and Abe. You're talking about McRad had shows. No, no, uh, Chuck and Tim. Okay, yeah. This is Chuck Meehan. Chuck Meehan, oh, Meehan, Meehan and Tim Dunn. Yeah, the, uh-huh. they're like the yeah. all the DIY mm-hmm. promoters. Yeah, when I talked to Chuck Meehan, he said Tim Dunn discovered Scram. Oh, and really? That, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what. Yeah, that's what I he thought said. He discovered. It. Yeah, and when I talked to to Tim, he said, "Oh, yeah, maybe I did." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, well, the way I remember, Chuck saw the flyers, and we were at a, um, they had a, you know, they, like I said, they had shows every Friday, and so I think the Friday night shows were at Abe's, which was at 40, on 40th Street. Mm-hmm. This, the remnants Near of the market. sign are still there. Yeah, and, uh, and then CEC at 35th and Lancaster on Saturday nights, and there's, you know, and I used to just go didn't matter like what you know what band was playing it was just like it was it was a scene that I just went every Friday and Saturday no matter who was playing and um and uh the Friday night show at at, uh at Abe's I I went and uh and Chuck asked me if we wanted to open the net the show the next night now he heard you or just knew that no he just saw that (laughs) just trusted (laughs) and it was he just saw McRad and five story and five fall. story fall, yeah. and they, were, I guess, were looking for an opener. Yeah, and I remember we was wrote, it the next day. It's the next day, oh and I was like panicked. I, I called these guys like, "Chuck has to play tomorrow." Like, what the fuck? I remember. <laughs> I remember being panicked, <laughs> and we were very panicked. And we like just 
we the whole next day we played and we I think we wrote two songs that day that we played. Did that you have night. a full set I at this we, point? I think I think was it here tonight? Here tonight we wrote that day. That was like a song that was like, uh, you know, it was like one of the fan faves. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, we wrote it that day and played it that night. So the rest pays off. I mean, it, yeah, it, 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 uh, it developed, but we we. It was pretty close. I mean, it's not I much think we to did. it. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> so how did you go over then for this uh, performance? It went really well. It went really well, yeah. yeah. And I think at yeah. that point, and it's so funny because that's so long ago, but I, I feel like, um, was, was, uh, was Timmy, Timmy Dredd playing in McGrath at that point? I don't think so. No? Um, it wasn't. I feel like the lineup had already moved on, the McRad lineup. Yeah, Tristan wasn't. Tristan and Ethan, who were in it, the original group, weren't in it. But it was uh, Chuck and Zeke. It wasn't Timmy? Maybe it was Timmy. I think Timmy. Timmy may have played that night. Wow, really? Anyway, they, they, they then went on after us, and then Five Story Fall. Okay. Um, you know, and it's funny, because um, I remember seeing McRad at... Um, this 21 and over club, I don't know how I got in. I probably look like I was 14 years old. Do you remember the name of the club? Uh, it was called the East Side. Okay, right. Yeah. And People have mentioned that. Um, East Side Club, it was a 1229 Chestnut. Mm -hmm. um, and that was when they were in their sort of original form. And I don't, I don't, I honestly have no clue how I got in. I mean, I, I got in, but um, uh, the, uh, that was yeah their their original lineup, and then when we played with them at the CEC in December of '84, I think it was, um, they had they had switched stuff. The, the The lineup had shifted, but um, Five Story Fall was pretty much just getting started at that point. Like they were, they were definitely becoming a a big band in the Philly scene. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever heard them before. I think that they might have probably been gone before I started going to shows, and I never heard anything recorded. Yeah. Right. So when was that? When did you start? Playing? Well, my first show that I ever went to was you, was Scram. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I actually wrote the, the date down in this little piece of paper because oh, wow. uh, it, was a, it was a big deal. I had sold a flyer on my wall at my parents' house. But oh, it was, yeah, that's right. It was Pizzazz? Yeah, it was Pizzazz, Friday, July 31st oh. of 87. I was recently 16, so it was supposed to be with seven seconds, but they didn't turn up. Right. And there was Justice League and Failsafe and Scram, so, gotcha. which I wrote about in a book, so if you, uh, there's a book called My First Time, oh, where really? people write these these stories about really? their first oh, punk shows, cool. and I wrote about That's the show awesome. in that, it was some oh, years nice. ago, uh, AK Press published it, but yeah, it's in there. Did you enjoy it anyway, even though seven seconds they show up? <laughs> I, was, I was a little bummed that they weren't there, but, um, but yeah, I had a great time, it was, I don't want to talk too much about me, but it was certainly an eye-opener to be in that place, which was way far out of where I was living. It was yeah. a fairly frightening area right. and it was filled with weird people jumping on each other's heads. <laughs> you know? But uh, Even while we were playing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have the greatest, like the most distinct impression of what the what the bands were like playing because the whole sensory experience yeah. was very yeah, overwhelming. So you know, as with, you know yeah. any initial show, it was like, what yeah. the hell? Um, <laughs> Uh, well, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, in, in in initially forming the band, was there always the idea that this is this is not going to be, you know, a straight-ahead punk, hardcore punk band? This is going to be something that's going to infuse these different elements of music. Oh, that, yeah. you know, the two I mean, we were barely a punk band, you know. We were we were punk in our attitude, and we related to it, you know, but we weren't, you know, we 
didn't have you know it was like sort of an uh, an ingredient in what we did but yeah yeah it wasn't the you know, an approach it wasn't the driving thing. force but yeah but we just identified with that whole scene and luckily we were in a city where people accepted it you know because there were other cities at the at that time where there's no way we could have played hardcore shows you know like it's yeah Boston and New York. New York and Boston. No There's no, no fucking way. Yeah, so did you, did you go th- try to play shows in those places and have them not go well or just to get the general impression that that's probably not the place no, for you? I, we I, played there, but not, they weren't hardcore shows. Like, we would play in bars and stuff. Yeah. Moved, in D.C., we played hardcore shows because yeah. that was more like, more like Philly. We were actually... Felt like we we're more embraced in DC than we were even here. Yeah. You know? No, really. Yeah. We it, it always seemed to me well that Philly here. really loved Scram. I mean, whenever yeah, I would see you play, true. like you know, other bands, people would be beating the crap out of each other. But when you would play, everybody would dance and have a really great time. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, very very enjoyable contrast. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it always seemed strange that, that you know you weren't going through a straightforward line like a lot of the other bands would be you know very yeah. straight you know punk hardcore band yeah. and yet Philly you know, was always kind of happy to put you on these bills right. well, and our, it worked. Our experience, I think, too, was like we did play. I guess it was a couple years before we actually started playing shows at clubs, you know, twenty one and over. But um, really very early on like in 1985 we played at Swarthmore College with Ruin mm-hmm. like there was it always felt like we would play at colleges you know like these liberal arts colleges along the the east coast or these all age shows or um, these these lefty yeah. organizations there was a benefit, they call <laughs> always <laughs> cause like you know like the you know Back then, the, the uh, Nicaragua and Salvador were like really big deals, right? Because of what was going on in their co- the countries, and we played so many uh, benefits for CISPIS. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm like banging. <laughs> it just makes it much more dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg was just pounding and pounding on the Should table. It's the goddamn contras. Oh God. The contras were a big deal. <laughs> The Contras and the and the Sandinistas. Uh, were, they, yeah, were these political apartheid? Uh, yeah, were these issues that were like personally you know, important to you, or were oh, you just oh, yeah. okay. we were and they politics knew. to us? Well, I think for both of us, yeah, it was probably more, maybe even a little more important than the music. You know, mm-hmm. we were like we definitely thought of ourselves as a political band. You know, we tried to. I wrote to the Nicaraguan embassy at the U.S. Embassy in Nicaragua to play there because I heard Billy Bragg played there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> so like, there's always, like, that, they didn't invite you out to yeah. perform. We weren't, think, we weren't <laughs> thinking about, you know, how we're going to do our national tour. We were thinking about how could we play in Managua. Right. <laughs> um, but that pizzazz reminds me um, uh, that we played a show there with Henry Rollins. Mm-hmm. This was him, his solo, yeah, like, solo shortly solo after thing. Black Flag. Yeah. And wasn't there Hot a story where our first record, like he bought, he was like the first one to buy our record or something? Was this that? is the first yeah, LP? When we got the, um, I got the records in the mail, like the first box of records, and I just brought some down to Third Street Jazz. Mm-hmm. And we had played, and I think it wasn't at the day after we played with him, but he, the next time he came back and played, 
um, he was just in there. And um, I think he bought it, and I'm pretty sure he bought it. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what he thought. I know. <laughs> well, he loved, I mean, he, when we played with him, he loved it. I remember it freaked me out because he was like at the height of his like buffness. <laughs> and he came up to me after the set, and he's like, doing this to his bicep, like holding his bicep like this. <laughs> Why was he the doing whole time, that? I don't know. I guess he was like, I, I, God, I, my biceps are so big, and he just kept doing this. Uh, listener, was he was totally pulling on his bicep. <laughs> I need to illustrate this yeah, for <laughs> It needs to be a sound picture. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. And um, and he, he, uh, he was like, it was great, man. I, I could feel it. I could feel it, the passion. Like, Thanks, man. He, he clearly needed a scram tattoo with exclamation point <laughs> next to the fiend from the Misfits or the creepy crawly spider bang. or something. Oh, you, you could bang the table with your emphasis. But we always were doing those, um, those benefits or, you know, colleges or all-age shows that was like pretty much our bread and butter for a long time and uh and we played down there was no bread and butter well there was yeah yeah, right it's true uh and yeah we played in dc so much and then um uh i guess another i guess a point like I don't know, it really sticks out for me as we, I think we may have played Fugazi's first show, or first show outside of D.C. Outside of D.C., yeah. We played with them at Dickinson College. Yeah, that's And um, I was like, what fuck? Yeah, I saw you play with Fugazi at, at Drexel oh, uh, yeah. in 200 Stitches, I think, uh, mm-hmm. which was, what, 19? 1989, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I probably have the worst memory in the room, but that um, was a crazy show. Cause I do remember, remember that. How, how cold it, it was. Like I remember everybody was in shorts and stuff like that. I remember it. I felt like it dropped like 40 degrees or something like that from the day until the night. Yeah, I can't remember. Do you do you remember like, what when that was in the year? Like what t- what time of the year it I was? Like a, I think it may have been in the spring. I have the flyer still on the wall at my oh, parents' house, but I can't. I, yeah. I can visualize a flower, but I can't remember exactly the date. Well, my oh. recollection also was that we were supposed to play on the, the, the roof of the garage, but it was so windy and so cold that we moved down yeah. into, okay. into yeah. the, one of the you know, levels, like, uh, lower levels. Yeah. But something I was thinking was that um, the, the th- another thing that was cool is like whenever we were on a... Um, we're on a bill. I think it was something that was different about Philadelphia was that you know, when I was saying before how we were accepted in that in that scene. Like other when other bands would come through, they would they just always <laughs> loved us because it was so refreshing to them mm-hmm. to hear something different. You know, like every show they every place they went, the bills was all like. Yeah, yeah. You know, Break like it sucks. <laughs> yeah. But every band was doing the same thing musically, so they were always like, oh, man. It was always such a, like a, a relief, you know, for mm-hmm. these guys to hear something a little right. different. So uh, tell me a bit about the making the first record. Uh, I mean, how did you, you come upon the label, and, you know, how did that, any, yeah. anything interesting about that coming about? I yeah, actually, that was an example of that. Um, Youth Brigade, we are on BYO Records, um, that one. And uh, we were on a bill with Youth Brigade, and they it was right up at um, Pylam, Penn, Frat, 
where they used to, they, you know, had a lot of shows there, and um, and we opened for them, and they asked us that night if we wanted to do it, and they were at that time they were like, you know, one of my bands, you know, it's yeah. like Youth Brigade, Seven Seconds, and Minor Threat was like they were my bands, yeah, yeah. you know. BYO Records and SST were like, I guess maybe in Twin Tone at that point. I don't know. They were for the distribution. They were one of the, yeah, just one of the bigger punk all you know i guess diy well, discord yeah. labels and discord of course yeah, yeah. Um, but it's another thing <clears throat> that happened i guess i don't know if it's previous but discord you couldn't be on discord if you didn't live in dc mm-hmm. and i remember talking with ian and gee and they were talking at, you know they were like you guys should be on discord we're like well we live in philly and they're like, let's just move to dc so I remember us even kind of talking about it, wow. you know. I don't remember that. <laughs> and, <laughs> That'd be pretty interesting if you yeah. and and but it's so. But I mean, my God, think of that. that yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, couldn't be easy. on Discord unless you were in DC. And it was Ian was like, "Yeah, I don't want to have to deal with tracking people down." And you know, uh-huh. this is pre-internet, prehistoric, yeah, yeah. you know. Right. But um, but yeah. So I guess that was. Uh, I guess that was in, was that in 87? Yeah, the record came out in 87. But we actually had that show, and I guess it was a quick turnaround. Yeah, it was. It was like, uh, I don't remember, I don't remember what time of year the show was, but the, I remember recording it in, in like, June, I think, and it, it just, you know, yeah, it was really quick. You know, it just came out a couple months later. Had you been considering recording for a while? Because it seems like you you had been a band, you know, for a while. We at that had point. we did record before that, but it wasn't. Did you release you know, an EP? Uh, yeah, and cassette. Okay. I just did a cassette. We were on a couple comps too, right? Yeah. A. Um, we were on like a Thrasher compilation. Was it Positive Force, a Kevin Seconds mm-hmm. label? We were on one of those. Right in a Thrasher comp, Chuck Treese. Um, <clears throat> he got us on one of those. They broke a rule for us too. The, the rule was that you had to be a, you know, had to be skaters in the band, and right. none of us skated. But they said, "But you're, you know, you Chuck vouches for you, and it's great to skate too." So yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good enough. I didn't know that. Yeah, these guys are rad. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so how was it with uh, with BYO? Did you feel like the record, you know, kind of got around? No, no, not really. Not so great. <laughs> well, it was funny because it took. It felt like it took forever. I mean, thinking back, it might not have been that long, or we may have been just so eager to get it out. Um, but it was. It was basically like two or three people, you know. Yeah, yeah. And our expectations, I think, were probably, you know, wildly out of line. Yeah. Thinking back, you know, but we were. We were. I think we became really frustrated about that. But I. I thinking back too, though. I mean, we put the record out and we did a national tour on this shoestring budget record label. And we, you know, they put us up for a week in L.A. And, you know. The Youth Brigade did? Yeah, yeah. we stayed at, at, at Sean's Sharon's house. house. Okay. For like did he week. live with his parents still? No. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, but the three, three brothers lived, they had a house together. Well... Were they all brothers? Wait. Yeah, there's a Stern brother. There's a three, three brothers. There's three, three of them? Yeah, there's three. Yeah. Brothers. I thought the one guy was, they just called him. 
Well, the one guy. Well, he didn't live there though. That guy didn't live there. Oh, I don't know. Sean. Uh, Who's the drummer? Bob. Bob Gnarly Stern. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't a brother. No, he wasn't. He's Had you seen the uh, Another State of Mind movie yeah, you know, at this yeah, point? Yeah. That this, yeah. That oh happened? yeah. Yeah. yeah right, I was okay. a huge. I was a huge fan of those guys. Yeah, yeah. I used to see that on Night Flight all the time. Did you, yeah. did you oh, really? Yeah, like when I was a kid. I think a lot of people who were who, who my age saw that show, that, that movie, documentary, on Night Flight. Right. And oh, it would be wow. taking notes like, this is how you slam dance, and this is how you do the creepy <laughs> crawling, you know, all this, all this bullshit that was in that movie, which everybody loved. That's so funny. Um, uh, so do you, do you still own, do you own the rights to the record? I mean, clearly there's no BYO now, right? Or is there? There is, yeah. Uh, does the label still exist? Yeah. Do they still press the record in some uh, Well, they didn't for a really long time, but I think it is on iTunes now. Oh. Yeah, that no first idea. record, yeah. yeah. Um, I think over time it's actually sold a lot. Like, a, well, lots relative term, but... Do, do they actually legally own the Yeah, record? they own the publishing. And that's... Not that. We don't even know. We were just like, we don't care. We just want to play. And Somebody covered one of the songs on that record, too. And I was just like, uh, do you get a check yeah, for nine cents every year or something? Or what? No. <laughs> no, we haven't even gotten in touch with the guy. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, do you have any interest in seeing the, the records reissued? I mean, are they, they're not, uh, I mean, I guess that is available. That, going into the second record now did you self-release that or was that yeah, someone yeah we did that ourselves okay. yeah but we we had a distribution deal with Caroline Records and they had a distribution deal with Southern so it was distributed in Europe too. right but we saw very you know, yeah felt, saw very little of it and is that and I now I can't stand hearing those recordings uh, anymore what? like when I hear those things that I there's things about them that I appreciate, um, but on the whole, there's just, you know the things that just grate on me, like mainly my singing. I can't stand it, you know. I feel just like straining the whole time, like trying to, you know, do things outside of this, my what my strengths are as a singer. Mm -hmm. Um, so that that's all I hear when I listen to it now. Yeah, but surely I mean, other people are probably not going to hear that. If, right. Yeah. Um. Well, it's funny because I think that is part of our experience as a band we were you know we were always pushing ourselves and we changed like when I it may again it's one of those things where maybe it feels like a long time but when we go back and think of what the music that we were playing in 85 versus the music that we were playing in 88 mm -hmm. I mean there's we definitely had I think by 88 or 89 we had really shed the what any any sense of like the punk all age stuff mm -hmm. yeah, I mean you had the horn players that you're playing yeah. with live yeah, yeah. Uh, horns and percussion and, and we were, you, you were still moving through I mean at least in some in some sense you were still playing those kind of shows I mean you're playing with we you were, had the horn players when you played with Fugazi right and and I think one of the oh, thing, yeah, yeah, one of the did. oh yeah one of the things that we we really I I, th I think you we've both agreed on this in the past, but is that there was a there was a, a there was stand up the first record and then we did King's Essing Trials <clears throat> on our own. There was all this music in between yeah. that really was a bridge toward what we were doing later on, and we didn't really memorialize it. We didn't document yeah. it. And none of that was recorded. And it was because yeah. we were we we were That's the worst we were thing. we were just like. Yeah. 
it was just I think some of it was just arrogance. We were like, we're we 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 don't want to put up with you guys anymore. BYO, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we sh- we should have just put out another record because they wanted to do another record with us and. Did you have an obligation to do it with them, or could you have done it? I think there was like an option, wasn't there? Like a mutual option or something contractually. I don't remember any of that shit. There was, like we and we could have, and they and Sean Stern wanted to do another one, and we, I think we were just so caught up in the music, and we weren't really thinking about memorializing it or thinking about. The future it was everything was now. And, and what about live recordings? Did, did anyone capture any any decent live recordings in those you know, intervening years? Yeah, I mean, I I have some cassettes around, you know, and some basement tapes and things like that. C ninety. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With the box, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not decent recordings, but they're you can hear it. You know, you can hear it, and it's the the feeling is there. You know, but. Um, yeah, they're not good recordings, but at least you can hear the songs and hear where we were. And when we play them now, too, like we've played a couple of them. Um, uh, we played this memorial show um, for uh, Andy Morris. I don't know if you knew who he was. He was a drummer that uh, passed away, like I guess now it's like 12 years ago. And they had a memorial uh, 10 years after he passed, and uh, his sister asked for Scram to play. And Craig, who's the drummer, he's, he's not really interested in any, any of that any, you know, anymore. Um, but Chuck, so Chuck Trees played with us and we played and we, we, a lot of the stuff we played was from that, you know, that, that time era. and early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, uh, it sounded the same. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It just felt like psh, it was just exactly the same. Did yeah. you do the earlier stuff because you didn't have the horns and, and all with you and the percussion or? Did, yeah, or? I think, no. Yeah. Some, I, yeah, that's why. yeah, and I and I think it, it for the, the memorial service sort of called for that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that that um. But when you were saying like you you feel like your voice was uh, I'm like interviewing. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you're. Are you talking about the second record? Or the both. Records? Uh, both of them definitely more the second than the first though. Cause, um, My favorite thing we did that actually got out there at all was that, that first cassette that we did. Like, when I hear that, I feel like we, like, uh, you know, we hit what we were trying for, you know. And we kept sort of aiming higher, I guess, and uh, some of the other stuff I felt like, you know, it was good. Like, that's what I would say when I listened to it. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive to go from that you know, it was more complex musically and rhythmically and everything. So it just, like, that's pretty impressive to go from there to there in that time. But when, at this point, we were hit, hitting it, you know, achieving what we were aiming for in my mind. And then later on, it wasn't, just wasn't quite there, you know. So, yeah. That's we were sort of lagging behind, you know, where we wanted to go, I think. But I feel like that was, de- yeah, it's definitely part of who we were. We were, like, it was definitely part of our experience as a band 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that the audience would have would have picked up on that because I mean, you know, being being in the audience and being amongst you know an incredibly enthusiastic group of people, it was mm. always like this is really really terrific. Uh, right. So there's no like oh this voice is strange, they're, they're yeah. reaching too hot. <laughs> I know. Like, no, this is great because this is not <laughs> the same thing that we're seeing all the time. Yeah, and, and yeah, like right. you know, I would see and feel uh, in the audience, you know, people reacting to it. Yeah, and that was that wasn't the, as much the case in the live shows either. This this feeling that's I'm talking about the recordings, you know. Mm. Like in the live show, it's not even a, as much about if your singing is that good. You know, I just remember shows where you'd be hoarse and well, the, PA the energy you know, was like, yeah, I, yeah, and you can never hear, I can never hear myself singing anything. Yeah, but yeah, the energy. That, I mean, that's in the live show. It's all about the energy, you know, and that was still there a lot of the time, you know, and that was all, all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, another experience that we had too was going on tour with Schooly D. <laughs> Tell me about that. That seems. <laughs> I guess it was like. How does this pairing come about? I mean, is there is there a manager who's putting this together? The, yeah, Schooly D's manager was looking for like. Um, well, first of all, he Chris Schwartz was the there. tours with Fishbone. Yeah, mm -hmm. they were that. And they were look, looking for <clears throat> Schooly D to, for a band, and um, we really fretted about whether or not to do it. You know, yeah. what were the what were the main because of the politics it's, of you know just he had some uh, misogynistic lyrics and mm -hmm. that was the main thing. Yeah, I think there was one moment I remember distinctly, like being like, "No, we're not doing it." Like to myself, like I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And then we got together, and I remember Craig was like really pushing to do it, and um, you know we had, I guess we had gone on a couple tours at that point. And here we had an opportunity. Up until that point, the only, I think, Cool Modi had a live drummer. No, uh, Stetsasonic. Or Stetsasonic, right. And we had an opportunity to go out as a band playing with the DJ. Mm -hmm. And I, I honestly don't know if it ever had happened. I think previously. it was the first time. I and so was. there was that. We were talking about that. Right. Did you have an interest in, in rap music? Yes. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, so we all, I was oh my totally God. into that school. Okay. So that was the yeah. thing. We were all, oh my God, we were so, I remember. And Public Enemy was When we were at, at Sean too. Stern's place out in California, it was the first time we heard uh, um, You're going P.E. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I remember, I was like, holy, what is that? You know, it's amazing. But then it was like a year later, yeah, we were approached to go out with Schooly. And uh, and I remember Craig said, "Why don't we just like live the contradiction, just live inside it and see what happens?" What does that mean? <laughs> In the belly of the beast, like the it? contradiction being like, here we are, this you know, <clears throat> like kind of sort of left-leaning politically speaking, a left, uh, left political band. More than leaning. Yeah, um, that you know, I guess we would all. I probably st I still do consider myself a socialist, but um, that you know it, that didn't lay very well with what Schooley was 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 rapping about, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, and we can talk more about that because that's a really interesting. I, I would be curious to hear about that. that because it's certainly an experience that none of the other bands I've interviewed have had. You know, yeah. <laughs> Tori well, with Schooley D. We. He's a really smart, really funny, really talented guy. But this is before we even really got a chance to meet him and stuff. And, and um, 
so the the whole notion of the contradiction was let's let's just challenge ourselves and and like see what see what happens and then mm-hmm. yeah we're we're breaking some rules of, of our own but let's let's do it and see what happens and maybe maybe we can actually have an impact on, that's what i thought on I mean, schooling they, yeah that, maybe know? that was a rationalization of like well maybe you know we'll you know, have a yeah, so have an young. influence, <laughs> or or, in the, or I suppose in the audience as well, right? I mean, if you're performing in front of a lot of people who aren't necessarily yeah. politically leaning and, and yeah. you're trying to plant a seed in their head as well, yeah, um, yeah, and so does this work? With well, you? it I mean, at a certain level, I think it worked, but yeah. I mean, it was I mean, is schooling it was reading a, Jermaine Greer at the end of the, <laughs> the tour. Or it was a Hell no. it was a struggle for sure. That part definitely didn't work. But here was the thing: I don't know, I don't really know Jesse too well, Schooly, right now. I mean, I've seen him in passing and stuff, but I never ever hung out with a guy. But at that point, it was Schooly D was a character. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. So the actual, the actual guy, Jesse yeah. Weaver. Jesse, Jesse Weaver. Weaver did not. He was as straight edge as you could get. Right. And he had just, I, you know, and his mom sent him down to some school in suburban Atlanta to go to high school. They got him out, you know, of Parkside. And he had this experience. Yeah, he was also kind of like the the first real, like, I hate, hate the term, but first like rapper that celebrated like gangster life too. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, he's he the was, OG. Yeah, he really was. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, so he, I forget where my point was. <laughs> well, I, we had this experience where the, the the tour was amazing. I mean, there were there were issues with like us. We had dams, and they didn't come every day. You know, there was stuff yeah, like yeah, right. that. Yeah, that yeah, kind of is like, is a little. It's it's not as big a deal now, you know. But um, it was amazing going out with Fishbone because they were at yeah. their true height. They were at their height. This was Truth and Soul. So what year is this? Is this eighty nine? Okay, um, was it eighty nine? Eighty eight? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I remember that record being. I think it was eighty eight. Really, really big. Yeah, yeah uh, that record was huge, and that's when we toured, and they were. They were unbelievable, man. It was worth it to me to see them, and to see them uh, like the way they, they the way they worked, and yeah, that was uh, eye opening. And just like, you know, every night, like they, they were intense every night. You know, like it was, um, like if the crowd was low energy, they just would never accept it. You mm-hmm. know, and like they, if they would just bring it up higher until people like came up to right. meet them you know like uh, Angelo you know climbing like it was a show where it was like a low energy crowd and he was like just climbing in the rafters of the place with the singing with the wireless mic it's like he's got, you know this guy's like uh, gonna kill himself you know trying to get people into the show you know but it was uh, that was amazing you know, he what was, was like he was skipping rope before the set. He was like forty five working himself up wow. forty five minutes yeah. before every show. God, you think the show itself would be a workout? I know, uh, and it was. <laughs> what, what were the venues like that you were playing in? I mean, what was the size of? Well, the, of the I mean, in Ca- we played. It, Big. Did we play at the? I don't know. Where this was the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, it was something it's across like, the street from the Hollywood Bowl. I don't know. It was a huge venue because they're from L.A. So. The West yeah, Coast shows were huge, like 
five to ten thousand, I think. They're and probably like two thousand like, most places, yeah. I guess. Like we played two nights at what is now Webster Hall mm-hmm. in New York. So yeah. uh, I don't know how many that holds. But how did you go over with the audiences? Really well. Well, <laughs> I mean, usually opening here, bands have a tough there's time. Actually, there was actually an experience that we had before we went on the tour. Mm-hmm. It was like the first show that we did. We did a West Philly show, yeah. I remember, we, which was kind of crazy because it was like, they were just like, the, the, it was... It was, I guess, the equivalent of, you know, a DIY show, rap DIY show. Like, all these just kids in the rap in West Philly, African-American kids, mm-hmm. and we played as a band. Now, you're playing you, as a three-piece, or is this with the horns at this point? I mean, you have the full horns percussion. I guess it was just percussion. Dead, right? Uh, it was the four-piece, then, four yeah. Piece. The, yeah, the percussion. three-piece and the percussion. Right. Yeah. And that's the first show we did, but then the first, <laughs> then we did the show at... RCA headquarters because Schooly was on Jive Records, oh, was right. a subsidiary of RCA, mm-hmm. and so oh, we played man. for all these. And case. back then, you know, the music industry was just Ugh. like suits and ties. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like late '80s, and we played that show, and it was kind of crazy. People were super into it, though, man. They, they were all like really high on the whole thing. We were even gonna record, but it just. We just did they pay you in like a truckload of cocaine or something? Yeah. <laughs> just back it up. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, but I remember, yeah, kind of the experience that we had with with Fishbone. Um, we were kind of these punk kids, but we were super into R and B and reggae, and we're getting we're we're really getting into African music. Cause like, if you're like the very late '80s, like. Um, High Life and South, you know, Township Jive music and like Fela was getting really pop popular for the mm-hmm. like truly popular for the first time in the, in the states, you know. Mm-hmm. So we were super into all that stuff, you know. And I remember we would have conversations with with uh, with the guys in Fishbone and and they didn't really know what to make of us either. So there we were again, like, like what, what are these, who are these guys, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, that was always, always a theme with, with Scram, you know, like kind of not fitting anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, we kind of fit a lot of places, yeah, but, but we did not truly fit anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you feel that that tour was, was ultimately a success? Did it go off well for you? Oh yeah. He was at his height too. Yeah. And you got on with him well, well enough. Personally, okay. Yeah, he had a he had a tour manager that was dickhead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a dick. Yeah, yeah. He was he was kind of tough to deal with. He's, he's probably like twenty two years old though, or twenty. Oh, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. this kid. Looking back, yeah. Do you feel that you managed to get the politics across to these rather sizable audiences while you're on this tour? No, not at all. No. I mean, it was his show. We were a backing band, you know. Yeah. And the interesting thing that happened too when we played the Philly show um, there was an article the guy wrote a review uh, Jim Gladstone or what was his name yeah Gladstone was his last name he was name. like the main critic um, the Inquirer wrote time. the music critic for the Inquirer killed us for doing it us specifically like careerist and really you know yeah. like I had all these hypocritical careerists yeah he fucking destroyed us 
And, you know, when I read it, and I was like, fuck, that's kind of right. I mean, that's not how I went into it, but that's sort of what it was. Like, we probably, I feel like in the end, <clears throat> we probably shouldn't have done it, you know. But, um, but the, the cool part of that story, though, was several months later, we, uh, we were opening for uh, De La Soul, and their first record came out at the Chestnut Cabaret. It was the 30th in, in Chestnut. Was that three feet high, or was there one before that? Yeah, three feet high. Right, right, yeah. Which was a massive, yeah, massive record, yeah. Me, yeah. myself, and I was, like, ubiquitous. They're really, yeah, I mean, they've been around forever, but I think maybe that, that was most popular they ever were. Yeah, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Yeah, the whole Daisy Age thing was yeah. huge yeah, at the time. So he, we uh, talked to him uh, before us. that show. It was an interview or it was just like he no, just he came, came to back. say hello, didn't he? Yeah, oh yeah, true, right. Yeah, it and, wasn't like uh, a formal interview. He was asking us questions though. But we talked about it, you know, mm-hmm. and really we, were kind of, we were kind of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was contrite, you know, like I, I said, I, yeah. I kind of think you were right. We probably shouldn't have done it. And, uh, and then, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I said that, but yeah, no, I know we didn't think we agreed on it. At the time. Did this interview run? But oh, oh okay. yeah. Well, then it, he well he reviewed the show. Um, it reviewed that show, and he said that we blew De La Soul. He destroyed De La Soul. Yeah, and then gave us like these huge accolades, which is like. The man was, takes away, but then the man gets. It was so yeah. crazy, you know. And you know that newspapers were such a big deal back yeah, then. That was yeah. um, so we're getting a little tight on time because I have okay. to run an event here uh, pretty soon. Okay. So I want to move through a couple things kind of quick, just so that so we have them. So, sure. what what precipitates the end of the band ultimately? I think a lot of it was that that. Um, you know, we, we did sort of, we kind of were moving away from that scene, but it also, the scene kind of died, you know. So we were sort of out, we were still out there playing, and it's sort of, uh, you know, they, they are, we weren't getting as many people at shows and stuff, and it just seemed like that, that scene was over, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't what it had been. And, um, you know, it was just sort of dragging on for a little bit, and just felt like it it had lived its life you know and what year is this 91 91 yeah well and then like it's interesting because like two years later we started playing at this thing called back to basic well matt and i did with this new drummer that we started playing with called back to basics it was king brit and dozzy blakey and there was every monday night at silk city and it was a sort of like you know that grew up around the acid jazz and acid house and drum and bass jungle mm-hmm. stuff that was going on but we were sort of like kind of headed that way for a long time you know musically right. so i think that the the end like it i i didn't i personally didn't want to break the band break up the band like mm-hmm. I think um, you and so Craig. So the bad guy. <laughs> no, no. I think Craig. Craig, Craig, was, Craig was ready too. Craig was the first one. But yeah. a year and a half later, I was like, oh yeah, like we were doing. I felt like we were doing something that was so close to what we wanted to do, as close as what we were doing, like in 
the beginning of Scram, the mm -hmm. first year or two. Right. So it resonated. Like I felt like, oh yeah, this is the thing. We've, yeah. yeah, we finally hit it, and it was yeah. like again, it was totally different thing. Yeah. So and it's just yeah, so it's kind of crazy. So then that was that was that, the end of Scram. Yeah, that was that mm -hmm. was it. Yeah. Um, so uh, how do you feel? In, in 2013, is there is there some element of the of the DIY ethos that you picked up in, in you know through through punk and, and and this underground music that still kind of you know resonates with you? This courses through your anatomy, you know now. I absolutely. I mean, I I work at um, Johnny Brenda's now, mm -hmm. and I've done booking there. I'm the production manager there now, um, and it's. Uh, I, I have conversations with younger people that live, I'm like the old head there right. and um, have conversations all the time because we, we do shows with Sean Agnew from R5 Productions so we have this really close relationship with Sean and um, uh, I think that the way that Johnny Brenda's is now is heavily influenced by the DIY movement. The music industry, I think, is incredibly influenced by DIY. Because I think it you know, changed the game. I feel yeah, it's like it's almost the only way it's the only way to do it now, it yeah. seems like, you know. Yeah, because a musicians. lot of the infrastructure is no longer present. Right. So really you, you have to. And I guess some people have access to great resources as far as like getting disseminating you know music or ideas around that weren't right. present you know in, in the 80s or even up to the late 90s or so right. really for most people yeah but I think it it definitely paved the way it uh, taught young people how to do it before the internet and right. then when the internet hit you know and there was a greater ease you know to get your stuff out there right. I think that was that was the template, you know. And what about you, Matt? Did you do you feel that there's some part of this that still moves through you? Um, oh yeah, I mean it's. I mean, uh, unfortunately, it's um, not with what I do with my career, <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, you know. But it's it's still uh, it's still who I am. But you know, in a situation where I got a uh, you know three kids and trying to uh, raise them, so there's some. <laughs> compromises there um, you know with work life and everything like I I, I keep looking for you know I'm definitely still the, the same person and looking for you know avenues out of what I'm what I'm doing now mm -hmm. um, but yeah I mean with, with we're uh, we've been playing you know we're talking about getting going again with, uh, with music and now with with that, like I was saying before, it's sort of the only way to do things now. You know? mm -hmm. um, like towards the end of Scram, we were like chasing a deal. You know, we started thinking that way, and that was that was a, a big mistake. You know, like I wish we, I wish we hadn't done that too. I think that that might have been part of the end of the band too. It was like we started chasing something we had no control over. You know, right. um, and ultimately no interest in. Somehow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we hated it. We also hated it. Right. Well, I guess it didn't happen, so I guess you can't blame yourself for having gone in a bad direction when you ultimately didn't go in that direction. Right. You know, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, so one quick question. It's only applicable to one of you, but I'm not sure which one. 
Uh, and this probably shouldn't even be in the interview, but one of you worked at the Taco House. That was me. Okay, well, you worked with my brother Bull there for a short time. Oh, really? Who, who got fired? Okay. Uh, but I remember when he worked, he was like, one of the brothers from Scram works at the Taco House with me, <laughs> and I thought that that was so cool that that, that, that one of you worked there. So when was that? What year was that? I don't know. How long did you work at the Taco House? I worked there for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to discuss this. He, it was a while ago. It was a long. Time I worked ago. there from like. Um, like my freshman year, at, uh, I went to Temple, and I worked. I was in school for like six years, so I worked there all the way through school, and then like a year or two after school. Yeah, uh, I can't remember. It's Hopefully, you weren't eating that crap the entire time you no, were working no, there. No, no, no. Don't well, eat the first couple of months. <laughs> Veggie trees first. Month. First couple months, yeah. that was it. No, like uh, I couldn't even stand the smell I, of it. I never worked there, so I mourned its passing. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, when, when did that place it. close? Um, this is crucial for the history. So yeah, this, yeah, this has yeah, got yeah, to be yeah. on the tape. Well, let me see. I remember bringing my, um, you know, the people that owned that place were sort of. Uh, they were actually from Drexel Hill, like a few blocks from where we lived, you know. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, well, not just like, I mean, culturally just like my parents, you know. And uh, and they felt, you know, they felt like family after being there that long. So I would go, but you know, when my uh, I have a son who's 15, so I remember having him in there. So it was probably like 10 years ago, I guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, super. Uh, I'm sorry to end on such a weird, weird note, but uh, it's been really great talking to you too. And, and I have to say that you know, Scram was always one of my all-time favorite Philly oh, bands. No, so really it's nice really great to, to get a chance to talk to you. I hope that the the, uh, the record, at least the second record, gets a reissue at, at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 The only thing, I mean, I we didn't I have a TuneCore account. I I actually been meaning to do it. Um, so we own it. And I have a TuneCore account. You could just put it up. You could do it tonight. <laughs> yeah, you put it up. I mean, a lot of yeah. the links that people were using on the internet for illegal downloads don't exist anymore. So yeah, right. uh, you know, the ways that people used to get things that were out of print are, are for the most part, not there. So yeah. to put it up legally, you know, I think there's a lot of people who would potentially yeah. be interested in hearing this stuff. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> All right, so, well, uh, thank you guys for talking All to right, me. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you.